Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. During those thousand years, there's the millennia around. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be amazing. But there's going to be people that go through the thousand years. They made it through the tribulation. They're going to have children. Those people have to make the same decision you and I do to become a believer or not to become a believer. Satan is captured and set aside during that thousand years, but he's let out at the end. And that's where the final judgment will come. And then what you're going to see when that's all done, we enter eternity in our new bodies forever and ever and ever. Nobody really knows, that is, they have no first-hand observations of what happens after death. Therefore, whatever belief you have about that is a matter of faith. The Apostle Paul references this when he says that if the resurrection of the dead isn't true, Christians are to be most pitied. Pastor Mark will be teaching today about the resurrection of the dead. He'll be sharing what the Bible has to say about what happens post-death. We'll also be talking about the end times and the events that'll happen then. He'll be telling you the reasons you should trust what the Bible has to say about these things. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. He'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as he begins his message, Resurrection, the Believer's Hope. This is a teaching that you really need a Bible because everything I'm going to talk about is going to happen to everyone here. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 right there. It's very important that you have this as we go through. Now, turn to your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4. Remember, we learned, I gave you a question, how do we get here on the earth? Well, we discovered we got here, all of us, the same way because God created us. Then we learned from the Apostle Paul that obeying God's word would please God. One of the primary things we want to do in our life is to please God. And if I'm going to do that, I can't think and I can't live like the world lives. So I have to think and live biblically. Paul taught us three principles Actually, I'm going to give you three today. I gave you one big one. Here it is. We please God by living pure, holy lives. How many remember we had a bed on stage? Come on. Yeah. It's not there now. Sex is over with. (laughs) Not really. Okay. So we went through the whole thing on sexuality, what it is. The only place that God says to have sexual intercourse is with your wife or your husband in bed period. Say, well, I don't believe that. Get the tape. You'll watch it. Watch the DVD. God will speak right to your heart. Okay. Now here is verse nine, and it's a different way to please God. Paul is writing, remember a little church, brand new in Thessalonica and new believers. He's writing from Corinth. 
Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do more and more, basically, and more. Now, there's no doubt. Remember when Paul became a believer, Jesus appeared to him in heaven. And he went, he was later taught by Jesus in the deserts of Arabia because he was not one of the original apostles. He hadn't spent time with Jesus when Jesus was on earth at all. And I know when you see him talking about love that he had to have gone back to the great commandment that Jesus gave. Let me read it to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Does anybody ever have trouble loving other people? The rest of you are lying that don't have your hand up. People can be funky, can't they? They can drive us crazy. By the way, we can drive people crazy. Absolutely. Now, we learn something from Scripture. You say, well, Pastor Mark, I'm not really sure I can do that. Yes, you can. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now, what does that love look like? Well, being kind, forgiving, keeping an attitude that's positive, keeping an attitude when we deal with people that's grace. Love means, well, just don't ever become bitter or resentful or critical in your action. Now, remember one thing, love is a noun and it's a verb. Love is an emotion, but it's also a verb. It's love in action. Now, Paul just says, you're doing great. I'm proud of you. So here's the next thing you want to write. Number two, we please God by loving God and loving others. That's what he wants. God is love. Now, we did this many years. We haven't done it in a long time, so we're going to practice. You ready? Everybody get your hands up. Come on, just put your hands up just like this. Okay. Now, what was that great commandment? Here we go. To love who? God. God's up here. And to love who? Our neighbors, other people. Now, when you do that, you got to hit them. Come on, you got to hit them. There's people here. There's real people. Hit them gently and kind. There's real people. Now, here's the danger. Loving people is not just in the church. You're going to see we have to love people outside the church. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. He was outside the church. Remember, we gather, thank you for being here, to scatter to get outside. So this whole teaching is going to be about that. So Paul says to the people, you're doing great. You're really, really loving each other. I'm proud of you. Can I say to you, I'm proud of you. Thank you. You know, in 27 years, we never had a church split. Somebody say, well, is that unusual? Yes. Yes. Now look at verse 11. Let me explain to you before we get there. The people at the church that Paul had taught, remember, he didn't spend a lot of time there. He taught about end times and the coming of Jesus back to the earth. And these people got confused. And they thought he was going to come any day. So Paul has to write them and go, no, we don't know when he's coming. And so when they thought he was coming any day, here's what some of the guys did. Honey, what are you doing home? I quit my job. Well, why'd you quit your job? Jesus is coming back. How are we going to eat? Well, I'll beg off some people. And Paul has to write them. 
Hello! And you'll see in the second book of Thessalonians when we get there, he's going to say this. If you don't work, you don't eat. So he has to write to him and say, no, no, no. He is coming back, but we don't know when. That's stupid. You can't do that. So they go and beg off of other people and whatever. Now watch what he writes. Now you'll know why he writes this. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Now think about this. When you have nothing to do, what do you do? You get in everybody else's business. Some of you know this. When you, you had a husband or a wife and they, they are not feeling well, so they have to stay home with you, maybe for a week or two weeks. What does the spouse finally say? Would you go to get better and go to work? I can't stand you around here. You always got your nose and everything in my business. Anybody understand what I just said? Yeah, you know what I said. So Paul says, no, 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 mind your own business. Get back to work. Do your thing. Work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life, watch this, may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on other people to provide for your food. So Paul says, there's people watching you. They know your life changed. You need to set a good example. You need to gain their respect. Don't be a busybody. Have a great work ethic. Don't depend on others. Now, here was the problem. It wasn't only that they were misunderstanding that Jesus could come tomorrow, so they just quit their job forever. But the second thing was, in the Greek culture, people looked down on manual labor. That was for the slaves. It wasn't for the people. But Paul changed it. Remember what he did? He was a maker of tents. So he challenged them. By the way, When we're concerned with people outside of here, what did we do a few weeks ago with 700 volunteers? It was called Compassion Day. We went out and made ourselves look like we loved them. We did. We served them. We ministered to them. That was a perfect example. So here's the third key that pleases God. Write this down, the third one. We please God by living a godly life, gaining the respect of unbelievers. When they look at us, they go, I want to live like Jim. I want to live like Donna. They have something I don't have. That's one of the reasons that Jesus told us we have to go to the marketplace and we have to have relationships with unbelievers because they can see that we're doing well. Now, here's something you have to understand. Why does Paul talk about living a life that pleases God? Be pure sexually, make sure you're filled with love, make sure you're a good influence because of this. The church that Paul's teaching, he's trying to say to them simply this, the Lord is going to come back. We don't know when he's going to come back. So you don't want to be living a lifestyle that doesn't please God when he comes back. So you need to get yourself together. And that's what he says. I'm teaching you how to live now. It's just like our series. Here's how to live now, Paul says. Please God. Why? Because then you're going to live forever in heaven. And that's what we're going to talk about today. When we leave here, what is it going to look like? Now, here we go. Paul is going to focus on a term that is a biblical term called eschatology. It simply means study of end time events. Paul had already mentioned in every one of his chapters so far at the end of the chapter, about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's going to write to them, look at me, all of our campuses, because there was confusion in the church. 
And what happened is, let's just picture it, the start of the church a few months ago here in our campuses, and you became a Christian, and you became a Christian, you became, and your, maybe your mom and dad did, or your son or a daughter, you became Christians. And during this time period, just because of life, some of those people died. So you buried them. And the people that are still in the church serving God are saying, uh, they're going to miss the rapture. They're going to miss the second coming of you. Where did they go? Do they have a chance to get to heaven? Is it all over for them? That's what their confusion was about. By the way, that's a confusion all over our world. Outside these doors, people have no understanding at all what's going to happen after death. So this confusion, they wondered, will I ever see my loved one again? Or is that it? Is that it? So watch what this chapter 4 is the clearest teaching on what happens after death, the rapture, and so forth. Now look at verse 13. Brothers, he's writing to the church. We do not want you to be ignorant. It doesn't mean ignorant. It means you're confused. You don't get it. About those who fall asleep, you can circle that word, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Understand what Paul's going to do. He doesn't want to leave these young believers uninformed and confused about death. So he's going to answer their questions about this. Now look at that first word. We'll see that when we get there in a little while. Now, when he answers these questions, it's a question that you and I sometimes have and the people sometimes have outside the door. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. You say, well, Pastor Mark, yes, I do. I got my schedule all done. I know where I'm going. I got to buy this, got to do this, got to pay this, blah, blah, I understand all that. But you know, you could get a phone call tonight. Everything changes in an instant. You can hear there's an accident. Boop, everything's changed. You get a call in the morning. Your job is ended. See, we don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. But we can know. We can know. Notice what will happen in our future. When you leave here today, you will clearly know from God what's going to happen in your future. That's why I ask you to open the word of God. Because it's all truth. So here's what you need to understand. We need to be knowledgeable about prophecy. It keeps us tuned up spiritually. So today we're going to learn what the Bible says about life after death. Today we're going to learn what the Bible tells us about our loved ones and our friends that have already died. Will we ever see them again? And today we're going to learn that there are actually two comings of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to show you a timeline. I don't want you to even try to get into it. We will be explaining this over the next few weeks. So here's a picture of end time events. Now, let's go back to the beginning. The first time Jesus came, he came to this earth as fully God and fully man. It's right over here. He then, when he went to the cross, after he went to the cross, he started the church, the early church in the book of Acts. So we are, right now, all of the churches in the world are in the present church age. That's where we are. Jesus designed his church never to be defeated by Satan, no matter what happens in the world. So his first coming, went to the cross, What's the next thing that's going to come? Say it with me. The rapture of the church. That's the very next thing that's going to happen in end time events, in eschatology. That's going to happen. Now, there is no date for that. 
There are no signs for that. It had happened right today while I'm teaching before you even leave. And if that happened, woo, we're gone. But some of you aren't saved. You're left. Now, what happens when the rapture takes place or what happens with us and we miss it? Here's the next thing that happens. Seven years of tribulation. When the church is gone, and you'll see how it's going to be gone in a moment, the rapture. When the church is gone, the Antichrist comes. And for the next seven years, there's going to be tribulation on the earth. I can't remember the exact number. I'll remind you when we get there. It's like two-thirds of the people in the universe will die. It's God's wrath. Now, it's broken into two parts. First three and a half years is kind of beginning. Then the great tribulation. After that, Jesus literally comes back to the earth. In the rapture, he only comes in the air. You'll see that later. But when he comes the second time, that's the two kinds of coming, in the air and now right to the earth, the return of Christ. When he comes, he sits down right on earth, exactly where he went up after he was resurrected into heaven. Now, when he comes back, I have good news for you. He's going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords forever. He's going to rule our world. No more Congress. No more presidents. No more politics. Poor Britain. They're clueless about what they're doing. Europe is a mess. No more Mueller. Uh, All kinds of things. Here's the bigger one. No more CNN. They got nothing to say. Hallelujah. If you don't see me next week, I got captured. So just pray for me. Because he's going to rule this world perfect. And by the way, during those thousand years, there's the millennia around. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be amazing. But there's going to be people that go through the thousand years. They made it through the tribulation. They're going to have children. Those people have to make the same decision you and I do. To become a believer or not to become a believer. Satan is captured and set aside during that thousand years, but he's let out at the end, and that's where the final judgment will come. And then what you're going to see when that's all done, we enter eternity in our new bodies forever and ever and ever. I just showed you the future. Next week, I'll give you the dates. (laughs) No, I won't. (laughs) I will not. Absolutely not. Now, So here's something you have to understand today. Our world does not understand this statement. You have to understand it. What happens when a person dies depends on what happens before they die. We know that the Bible teaches that all humans will be divided into two groups. The saved, born again. The lost. There's two kingdoms. The kingdom of God the kingdom of Satan. There's just two ways. There's just two ways. You're either going to be saved, you're going to be lost. The saved people are people that have repented, put their trust in God, and are growing and following, becoming more like Jesus. The lost are those people that refuse to admit they're a sinner. They don't need God. Their pride keeps them, and they just lead their own life. In verse 13, you're going to see, as you saw back at that verse, he said, there's people that have no hope. There's people that have no hope at all. Now, that simply means this. 
The moment of death is a great division. Those who are saved and those who are lost. That division, you're going to see, is directly related to no hope and hope. Because the hope of the world is Jesus. So you'll see the division. Now look back at verse 13. Paul says, those who fall asleep. Now he's talking about the service today, the people on the back row in our campuses. No, that's not who he's talking about. In those days, sleep was a common word used to describe the bodies of departed Christians. Never their spirits, never their souls. At death, the spirit soul leaves the body and the body goes to, quote, asleep. It no longer functions. So here's what you want to write. This should be plain to you. It should be hugely positive. This is where our hope is. When a believer dies, their spirit, soul, is immediately present with the Lord. You say, well, Pastor Mark, do you have a verse for that? Of course I do. This isn't my thing. It's God's truth. Look at it. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So the minute a Christian dies, the minute you die, where are you? Boop, gone. Where do you spend the rest of your life? Okay, people don't know. When you're a Christian and you die instantly, how long does it take you to get to heaven? You'll see instant. You're in heaven. Really? Yeah. Now, why did Paul say in one of his things, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Why did he say that? Because he had a trip to heaven. The only one that's ever really seen what it's like. And he came back and he couldn't put it into words. Why? Because it's going to be fantastic. The most profound writer in the New Testament couldn't tell us what heaven was like. It's going to be unbelievable. Now that's where absent from the body, present Lord. That's for a believer. What about an unbeliever when they die? Well, here's the truth. When people die without Jesus Christ, they are sent immediately to a place of holding torment called Hades. They will remain there until the great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand year reign when they'll be condemned for all eternity and eventually with Satan cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. You're going to see Paul then says this. Look at verse 13. We don't grieve like the rest of men. Paul says believers don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Paul says this. An unbeliever has no hope. We have hope. Hope. What is the definition of hope? Hope. Confident expectation to anticipate with pleasure. In other words, hope has the future in mind. So Paul says, every person that has a relative or friend or close friend, if they die, we all grieve for a period of time. That's normal because we miss them. But for a Christian, we know if they're a believer, will we see them again? Of course, because they're going to be in heaven. Today, Pastor Mark taught about hope in regards to what happens to you after death. He found out that it's possible to be a Christ follower and have the wrong understanding of the afterlife. You also learned that everyone will have a life after death. Unfortunately, for those who have rejected God's offer of salvation, they will receive the full penalty 
that they've earned. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. We have multiple campuses to reach those living in Melbourne, Sebastian and Vieira. All campuses meet each weekend and on Wednesdays to spend time collectively raising our voices in worship to our Most High God and studying the truth and blessings found in His Word. For more information, directions, and service times, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on the church link at the bottom of the page. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue his teaching, Resurrection, the Believer's Hope. He'll be talking about the rapture of the church. He'll explain what that event means for the Christ follower, as well as for the Christ rejecter. He'll help you understand the events following the rapture, what will be happening on earth, and why you'll want to help your friends avoid that time. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series, Live Here Now, Then Live There Forever. That's next time on Lessons for Living. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.